unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, welcome back. How you doing, man? Oh, real good. How about you, Nathan? I'm doing fantastic. Glad to glad to be on the call with you again. What do you got for us today? Well, it's about research. And I know a lot of people are almost ready to go to sleep when they hear the word research. It sounds boring, tedious, impossible to do. But copywriting research is very different from quote unquote normal research. And let me give you an example. Okay. So many years ago, a company that sold golf balls was running a successful mail order ad in a golfing magazine. But like every other advertiser, they decided to update the ad and they brought in a top designer from New York to redesign it. Everyone does stuff like that. And <laughs> that can work out. But in this case, it didn't. To everybody's horror, response in the ad dropped to zero. It didn't like go down 20% or 50%. It dropped to zero. And no one could figure out why the copy had not been changed. The market was still hot. The design was beautiful. And there was no bad news about the golf company anyone was aware of. Well, what turned out as they investigated a little bit is the top designer had redone the ad with a coupon to be solid black. <clears throat> the coupon was solid black ink and there was white lettering or reverse type and black blanks to fill in. Now, if you think about it, this caused a problem for customers because to fill out the coupon, they would need to have a pen that wrote in white ink. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So the business owner ordered the coupon to be changed back to white with black lettering so you could fill it out with a normal pen and mail it in. And once the ad was published with a normal coupon, response shot right back up. <clears throat> now, what's important here is not reverse type or black ink or white ink. What's important here is that the company was able to figure out what was wrong once they did hands-on research, but they couldn't figure it out until they did that. They literally had to go through the ad, read it, try to cut it out, fill it out, put it in an envelope, and, and that was when they saw it. Now, you know, 2020 hindsight says, oh, that's obvious. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. They spent a lot of money, both with the designer and, you know, with the magazine where they advertised before they figured this out. So they did hands-on research, step-by-step, step, to determine what the customer would have to do to order. And this episode, Nathan, is all about copywriting research. Because the research, this is a different kind of research, as I, I hope you can already see, right? And it makes a huge and measurable difference in the profitability of your advertising. But first, for everyone listening, my friendly reminder for you. Copy is powerful, and you are responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But especially if you make extreme claims or and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time, and it saves them incredible headaches and, and piles of cash. So let's get into research, okay? All right, let's do it. Okay. Um, the first kind of research that you need to do is researching your customers, finding out what they want 
and not just what they want, but what they need to read or hear about what you have in order to buy. So basic research is simply talking to your customers. Now, that sounds like, oh, geez, I'm listening to a podcast to learn to talk to people, but you'd be surprised. Or maybe you wouldn't, Nathan, but um, it's, it's, it is surprising how much people don't want to talk to their customers, have all kinds of excuses why they don't. And so by not talking to your customers, you are shooting yourself in the foot. See, it's so easy to forget this is called The Curse of Knowledge um, from the book Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. It's so easy to forget that other people, especially customers, don't know, don't bring to the table, bring to the party, bring to their reading or a hearing or the watching of your ad or your webinar, or your sales letter, what you know. Because people tend to assume other people have the same background if they don't think about it, if they don't really focus on it. So when you talk to people, uh, you'll find out what they know. And you don't give them a quiz. You're not like a teacher in a classroom. What you do is not ask them about your product. You ask them about their problems. Uh, for example, and you, you don't want to ask yes or no questions. You want to ask open-ended questions. And these are the questions that begin with the five W's and an H. Who, what, why, when, where, how. And you want to be real careful with questions beginning with why, because those can sound like district attorney questions and, you know, Perry Mason or Law and Order or something. Uh, you want to be, be careful not to make the questions sound like they're accusatory. Okay. But here's some questions. I'll, I'm, I'm not going to give examples for every single type of question, but I will for the first one so people have a good idea. Uh, questions about their problems. What's What's the, oh, let's talk about back pain. I was just talking to a buddy who had bad back pain yesterday and a lot of back pain products. So what's the one problem with back pain you're having trouble finding a solution for? And then listen, and by the way, don't help, don't, don't jump in, don't tell them about your product or, any, or an exercise or a chiropractor. Just listen and, and appreciate it. Thank them for the information. Here's another one. So they've told you about their problem with back pain. What happens or will happen when you don't solve this problem? Now, as an expert, you may know what happens. It's almost more important to know what they're thinking will happen, even if they're wrong, just to understand their state of mind. Does that make sense, Nathan? Yeah, because you want to write in a, in a manner that connects with what they're thinking, not with what you're thinking. It goes back to that curse of knowledge that you were talking about. Exactly. Exactly. It needs to seem real and credible to them. It doesn't mean you need to mislead them. You can say, well, you know, you may think that after your back goes, then your hips go, uh, then your uh, neck and shoulders go. Actually, um, a lot of people think that and that's okay. But what really happens, and then you could tell them, but at least acknowledge that you know what they're thinking and don't, don't make them feel small or bad or stupid for it. Okay. Then the third one is, do you have an idea of what caused this problem? Now, again, same curse of knowledge thing. They may think something that's not necessarily factually accurate. Again, in your copy, you can say, many people think that back pain is caused by this, this, this. And while that's sometimes the case, it, and then you can get into. So uh, I just wanted to really drill down on, on the questions about problems. And then let me uh, just review quickly, because we got a lot to cover in you know, only half an hour. 
to cover it. Um, uh, three three other points about about um, customer research. In a conversational way, ask them what specific solution to a specific problem that's important to them they would like, and listen listen to their words. Um, I'll get to that again, but listen, write it down, record it with permission. Um, find out how they say it, but we're looking for a specific solution they can't find anywhere else, or they truly think they can't find anywhere else if they look. Okay. And then there's a, a third category of uh, questions where they've already found a solution and they're using it, but they're not totally satisfied with it, which is usually the case, right? So if they have a solution, ask them what they don't like about it or what they wish they had that they don't have in that solution. This is all. This is this is copywriter research. This is customer research. Copywriters, marketers need to do. This is so important because once you hear the same thing a few times, you're starting to get into the mind of your customer in a way that maybe your competition isn't, and that'll give you a real advantage. And again, I want to emphasize: pay close attention to the words they use, the exact words they use. Don't try to help them or correct them. Don't show them how much smarter you are, that you know the technical terms. That's going to make you feel real good, and it's going to, it's going to pollute your research. It's going to, it's going to dilute your research. It, it might lead it in the wrong direction. Suddenly, you're going to get a pissing contest with them as to who's smarter about their problem. That's not what you want to do. You're, <laughs> you're trying to gather information. You're, you're like intelligence gathering. It's not a coaching session that you're doing with here, okay? Uh, so just listen and keep them talking. The way they talk about problems and solutions, the exact words they use, that's very important in crafting your copy. Okay? So that's just um, uh, part one of customer research. Part two is read reviews. Okay? And by the way, if, if there's anything needs clarification, please jump in because I know I'm just firehose with the information here. I did have one question real quick. I know that when I first started and probably even still to this day, it plagues me a little bit mm. is the fear of what you might hear in response. You might hear somebody say, well, this really bothers me. And then look at your product and say, well, my product doesn't actually address that. Or the fear of somebody saying, um, this is what I really hate about the competition. And you realize that it's also a flaw in your product. Same thing when I, when I've uh, known people that write books and they're afraid to submit them to their peers to read it because they're afraid that their peers will come back and say, Oh, I really like this, but I didn't like this. Um, <clears throat> how do you uh, kind of detach from that emotional or that ego about the product or service that you're writing for and open yourself to get that, that actual criticism or feedback? It's a, it's a great question. It's a real situation. I've been there myself. I think if anyone's honest has done this, they have too. I'll, I'll answer your question, but first I have two words for you. Ford Edsel. You'll have to explain. I want to take a moment to point out how vitally important headlines are in copy. As you may already know, the strength of your headline accounts for up to 80 or even 90% of the effectiveness of your ad. Think about that. What if there were a way to shortcut the headline writing process and start a new headline based on a proven winner? Well, there is. 
It's all in my book called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. This book is available now on Amazon.com. Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. What's unique about this book is it shows you exactly how to adapt a proven winner to your product or service because I show you 10 adaptations for each headline in different niches and explain the psychology of how to adapt a headline. Advertising headlines that make you rich in hard copy and Kindle formats on Amazon. Now, back to our show. When I was a little kid, Ford came out with this, you know, most magnificent car ever engineered and designed, and they spent millions of dollars and nobody liked them. Nobody bought them. It's a flop. So here's the point. If you if you're willing to risk having a Ford Edsel by living in the bliss of ignorance, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I mean, one way or another, you're eventually going to be informed by what the market wants and, and what the reality is. Um, the maybe more painful way initially, but less painful way in the long run is to find out from other people who really know. I mean, people who really know, not not, you know, self-appointed experts and gurus who have a fantasy of the way the world should be and are going to try and force fit everything to fit into that. But people who might buy this, people who are, you know, experts on um, uh, the, the topic, yeah, you, you sort of have to get over yourself. And again, it's not easy and you might have to redo your product, but I'm telling you, um, it's it's like Mr. Goodwrench. I don't know why I'm using all these automobile analogies today. We'll, we'll get you now or we'll get you later. Uh, not not me, we, but like, you know, the marketplace, the world, truth, reality, those things. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's a great question. And, and, you know, it's not a pleasant answer, but uh, this is, you know, I mean, Walt Disney went bankrupt twice i mean there there are you know be, you have to be willing to embrace failure if you want to have massive success it's just part of the game okay uh but but if you can cut cut off the failure early if you can risk small but often and you can you know entrepreneurs create creative people they're not totally in touch with reality they're they're trying to bend reality or create new realities but there are some realities that you need to pay attention to okay um, so anyway, uh, great question. And let me get to the second part of customer research, read reviews, especially on Amazon and social media. You can also read reviews, um, in, in print publications and magazines and, you know, blogs, and you don't need to read reviews of your own product. You could read reviews of competing products, but, um, what you want to pay attention to with reviews is not what they are excited about, what they gush about. You don't want to pay attention to the positive nearly as much as you want to pay attention to the negative stuff. Um, because if customers are, you know, this is the same thing you would find by talking to customers, but sometimes these are people you would never get to talk to. Now, one review, positive or negative, doesn't make a trend. But when uh, a lot of people, or even a few people, multiple people, are making very similar complaints. Uh, people don't sit around making up complaints. They, they'll they make a complaint usually when they're angry or disappointed or hurt or feel ripped off, you know, betrayed. Um, th there, there's a lot of valuable information in that. So if there's a product that does something they're complaining about, make sure your product doesn't do that or does the opposite, right? 
And it's especially true when the complaint doesn't use the exact words because somebody can be a little little pissed off in general and they look at someone else's review and they just copy the language. And so it may not be as heartfelt, but if there's different language in the same, uh, same basic complaint in different locations, like in Amazon on a forum in a blog post, that's a sure sign that you can, something you can use in your copy. And if you need to adjust your product, something you can use to adjust your product. Now, as far as using it in your copy, here's a, a little trick. You don't want to just repeat their complaints. You want to um, acknowledge that some people have these complaints, but then immediately show how you can offer a unique, valuable solution that solves those complaints. You're not creating, trying to create a, a pity party in your copy. You're trying to create a pathway to solutions. That's different, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's the difference of let's all just sit around and complain versus hey, let me walk you from the darkness into the light. Perfect. Yes, that's exactly what it is. I like that. So here's the third thing. Not, not Some people's businesses are too small. Um, I have a client with a nine-figure business. That's like three commas. <laughs> and they have a customer service department. But I also have have a client who has only 20 employees, and he has a customer service department too. So if you have one, if you have a product and you have a customer service department, and even if you're the owner of the business, you're a copywriter, you're the chief marketing person, um, listen in on the customer service calls. Make sure that eavesdropping is legal. Or better yet, sit down and do a shift or two yourself. Sit right next to those people and talk to customers who have the product and have problems with it. Or maybe they're calling in just because they want to figure out how to do something, I guess that's a problem, but not really a complaint. You you will learn tons. You will learn tons by doing that. And and here are some tips on on the whole customer service eavesdropping, customer service um, secret um, shopper, secret uh, you know um, secret boss kind of thing. <laughs> First, people never have a hesitancy to complain. Always willing to complain. And yeah, this is just sort of communication skill problem resolution 101. Just listen at first. Don't try and fix it right away. Ask questions in a nurturing, patient, supportive tone, not, not in a critical one. Be, be real careful about how you come across. But know this. Sometimes the real complaint is below the surface. And that's why... You want to give people time to get to it. Sometimes you just want to let them rant. It's worth it. It's worth it. Sometimes you want to let them go on for 10 or 15 minutes. Just, you know, and you'll find they'll, they'll, they'll go in convoluted ways. They'll talk about everything under the sun. But they're basically sort of clearing the decks to tell you about the real problem, the real complaint. And the real complaint is one that's charged with emotion, and sometimes it'll come out of nowhere. But you can hear it. You need to learn to train yourself to listen for it. But but you can hear it. I'll give you an example. So <clears throat> you get someone calling in about their dry skin, and then they start talking about wrinkles. And then finally, in a much more emotionally charged voice, they just say, 
I just don't want to look that old. <laughs> There's your headline. You could put that up as the headline, you know, if, if that's what you find, because who does, you know? Um, so th- that's what you can get on a customer service line or in a conversation with a prospect. Um, that kind of stuff is gold, uh, old gold, golden oldie. There you go. Okay. Uh, now let's talk about another kind of research briefly, which is researching your competition. Especially, how do you determine what's missing in their products and what you can do better and or differently to make customers prefer you over your competition? So, again, we're looking for complaints here. And the simplest thing you can do with the highest probability of success is not to find out about complaints that people have with unsuccessful products because nobody's perfect. Nothing is as good as it could ever possibly be. So what you want to do is find complaints people have about winners and then fix the biggest complaints they have about winners in your offer to show that you don't have those complaints and then tell the world about it, trumpet it loudly. So first place to look is at successful competing ads from present day. Just look around, opt into a list of your competitors, watch your Facebook account. You'll start figuring out who the winners are pretty quickly. Then, And, and some of this is going to come from your customer research. You can somehow figure out what they're not emphasizing. Um, but this is a good way to, to find some stuff that you can use as a basis for your ad. The second place to look is at successful ads in different fields from present day. It could be closely related or not related at all to what you're selling. While you're looking for a complete package of words, don't don't copy them word for word. That's plagiarism, and you want to avoid that at all costs, and we'll get into that in just a sec. And then... So first place to look is successful competing ads. The second place to look is successful ads from different fields present day. And the third place to look is old ads. There's a bunch of books like <clears throat> The Greatest Direct Mail Letters of All Time, and they laughed when I sat down in informal history of advertising in words and pictures. Those are actual books that you can get probably on Amazon. And there's also a website, Swiped, S-W-I-P-E-D dot co. It's free, and it's .co, not com. so swiped.co. And it's free. It has copies of many old ads you can look at, Claude Hopkins, John Caples, et cetera. It has current ads, too. It has successful promotions that are running right now. This may be your best resource. And as far as I can tell, it's free. There may be a membership level that's a little more expensive, but it looks like it's free. So... Once you have successful ads, find out what appeal the current winners are leading with in their ads, especially ads that rank high, like on ClickBank, or ads that appear often, like in Google AdWords or Facebook ads. And then here's the one where if you're a cheapskate, you're only cutting off your nose to spite your face. Buy a competitor's product. Go through the entire sales cycle. Make notes, maybe even copy their funnel. Um, Note what the upsells are. Uh, Successful product with successful upsells, you know, 
that that has usually zeroed in on what Gene Schwartz calls the mass desire. That will help you learn a lot about your market and what it takes to sell to it. Now, Nathan, be, before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about swiping. Uh, swiping is where you use an existing ad to write your own ad. And there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. And I want to um, warn people never to copy anything word for word from another ad. Not only is it mm, ethically wrong, bad form, and so forth, it's also illegal. Plagiarism is illegal. And especially in a commercial context, you can get dinged in court for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for stealing someone's ad. And some people will go after you, not because they need the money. They, these are usually people who don't need the money, but have the money to spend on a lawyer, just to make an example of you. Not for fun, but just to intimidate other people from doing the same thing. So uh, a couple of things. What you can do is you can swipe a concept. A concept is the idea. It's the structure of the idea behind the actual words. You can't plagiarize an idea. The, the, the law, and again, I'm not a lawyer, so talk to a lawyer about this if you want legal advice, but the way it works is if you copy the exact words, that can be plagiarism. If you copy the general idea, most of the time, 99% of the time, that's not, that's not patentable. That's not copyrightable. Ideas are pretty much free, at least in America. So um, let, me, let me give you an example. Let's say you have something, let's say you're selling something about toxic mold, um, getting toxic mold out of someone's house. Uh, you might start out with talking about climate change or global warming, depending on which words you want to describe this situation and compare, you know, this upset in the environment of the earth to upset in the environment of someone's house. You know, some, someone else, someone else might be doing that, or you might use London bridge instead of the Eiffel tower. If there's a, there's a um, very good promotion about, about oil being under the Eiffel tower. It's a metaphor you could use. There's gold, uh, buried under London Bridge might be a metaphor. I haven't thought this one through, but I'm trying to say you can use similar elements without using the same elements, and that's that's the right way to swipe. There was another one I I wanted to use. If if somebody is using um, helps you sleep like a baby, you could say helps you sleep through the night. Same idea, different words. If you have a sleep product, of course. If you're selling an energy drink, that wouldn't be a good idea. But if you have a sleep product, you could use something like that. <laughs> so so um, I, I think that's about all we got time for, right? But I, I want to um, wrap this up in saying uh, writing without research is, is sort of like trying to get from point A to point B without a map. Uh, you'll get there eventually, but you're going to waste a lot of time and a lot of gas in the process. All right. So I have a real quick question for you, David, before we're out of here. Uh, mm -hmm. Dan Kennedy is famous for having like a pyramid that has three sides, the message, the media, and then the market. And uh, Ben Settle, I've talked with him and he was telling me one time that uh, if you can get the market right, if you can understand the market, 
The other two, the message and the media, aren't nearly as important as understanding the market. And uh, throughout this episode, you've talked a lot about how to really get a good understanding of the market, how to do research for the market. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion about, because it seems to me like most people focus on the media. Oh, you got to use Google pay-per-click. You got to use Facebook ads. You've got to use radio advertising. You've got to have multiple touch points. Uh, a lot of people also focus on the message. Oh, you've got to have a he your headline is 80% of your selling. You got to follow it up with a good call to action. But I really don't hear people talk about the importance of, of understanding the market. Do you think it's just because it's, it's such a difficult area to understand or talk about? Why do you, I guess my question is, why do you think that so many people focus on the media and the message when, in my experience, the market, which gets ignored often, is actually the most important thing to get down? Well, first of all, I know Dan and I know Ben, and they're both brilliant and really successful, and I agree with them. I would put it this way. Uh, the uh, You need to understand the market before you can choose the media or the message. I think uh, choosing media is not doesn't take care of itself. I think there's a lot of work, especially if you're really trying to build something and fine tuning your message, same thing. But until you understand your market, the other two are, are just pointless exercises almost, or very expensive time consuming ways to find out what your market is. Why most people don't talk about it? Well, uh, they don't have the knowledge, the talent, the experience, and it's too much work. I mean, that's the, that is the real work of marketing is to find the customer and understand them. And, uh, I'd love to say it's easy. It's not, but it's a skill that once you learn it, um, separates you from all these people who are talking about all of these, you know, relatively unimportant things. All the people who are good at traffic, all the people who are good at messages always find out about the market first and they always do customer research to find out about it. Awesome. Well, I told you before we started, this was going to be one of my favorite episodes because I feel that this is such a valuable and so, so frequently overlooked aspect of marketing. I'm, I'm, I'm just glad I was able to sit in and uh, get this lesson from you, David. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, you ask great questions, and it's always fun to talk to you and to everyone else, to you guys listening. All right. We will see you later. Thank you, David. Okay. Thanks, Nathan. See you then. Hey. We're running a contest to promote the show, and one lucky winner gets a half-hour free consultation with me over the phone or Skype. We can come up with a new headline for your promotion or review all of your copy. Normally, I charge $750 for a half-hour consultation, but if you win, you can get it for free. We'll select the winner based on the best review posted on iTunes, so make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. In Episode 10, we'll announce the winner, so get subscribed and put in your rating and review today.